Now, let me just ask you a question. How many of you this weekend would admit that you're in some kind of relationship, a marriage relationship, a dating relationship, a parent-child relationship, you know, a relationship with someone at work, or maybe you're really down on your luck right now, you're scraping the bottom of the barrel, and the best you can admit is, I am in a fantasy football league. So those are your relationships. But just raise your hand if you're in some kind of relationship. Raise your hand. Now, keep your hand up. Look around. If somebody doesn't have their hand up, this guy right down here doesn't have it. There it is up now. See, hug them. If somebody doesn't have their hand up, just hug them because that's pitiful. See, we're all in relationships relationships at some level, right? Now, this is what I want you to think about. The reality is this is something that we know when it comes to our relationships. When we offend somebody, we know for a fact that a wall is going to go up between us and the person that we offended. We see this all the time in marriage, you know. We, we say something wrong, we do something wrong. Maybe we didn't mean for it to be intentional, but we say or do something wrong, and all of a sudden we sense that the wall goes up, right? And when, since you sense the wall is up, you say, hey, honey, what's wrong? And what does she say? Nothing. Well, you know she's lying because, see, the wall is up, right? Or sometimes how you speak or react to your child, you can just see it in their eyes. The wall is up. Or maybe something happens at work between you and a fellow employee, and and the wall is up, right? But you know when the wall is up. And when the wall goes up, depending on the nature of the offense, you know it's going to take some time for the wall to come down. If it's a small offense, it may take an hour. If it's a bigger offense, it may take a day. Some may take weeks or months. In fact, some of you, you sit here this weekend, you've been estranged from certain people in your life for years because you did something to them, you offended them, and the wall went up in the relationship. And even though maybe it's been months, years ago, you can still feel that isolation, that separation. Uh, There's this tension whenever you have to get together in the room with that person. And if someone's in your family, see, this is why you dread the holidays. Because you know you're going to be in the house together. And you know that that tension is going to be there, right? And, and, and what's interesting is this. As Christians, we assume that it works the very same way when it comes to our relationship with God. We just assume that when we do something wrong, we do something bad, when we sin, there's a wall that must go up in our relationship with God because that's how it works in all the rest of our relationships. And if it's, you know, if it's not a big deal, maybe it's speeding. No Christian thinks speeding's wrong, Right? Or gossip or slander, that's, that's just sharing prayer requests. That's not really wrong. So, so maybe, maybe the wall only goes up for five minutes, right? If it's a little light, maybe the wall goes up for an hour between us and God. Or if it's one of the big two, say murder or adultery, who knows if the wall is ever coming down. But when we sin, we just assume there's a wall that goes up between us and God. And I think one of the reasons we assume that is because we know that a wall goes up on our side of the relationship. We feel, we feel alienated. We feel like we're on the outs with God. We feel like he's angry at us. He's mad at us. And so we feel like the wall's going up. And so we assume that our feelings must reflect his feelings. But there's a reason we feel that way. And it's because of this. And I'm going to give you a principle I'm going to talk about this weekend. And in case you have to leave early, you'll at least know what I was going to talk about. And I will warn you now, we are going to sing a song together at the end of the message. So I want to give you plenty of heads up because I know that means many of you start leaving at that point. It's like a state football game. <laughs> but this year, it's in, the, it's in the first quarter. It's in the first quarter. By the way, have, have, you, have you noticed our local football teams? Do you really want to spend your money on that next Saturday when you could be here hearing Michael Jr.? See, how's that for a segue right there, right? So let me give you the principle I'm going to be talking about. This is why we think the wall goes up in our relationship with God. It's because we underestimate the significance of what God did for us at the cross, and we overestimate the significance of what we do in our relationship with him. We underestimate what happened at the cross, 
We're going to talk about that. We overestimate the role that we play in our day-to-day relationship with God. And that happens all the time. That's why when we sin, when we do something wrong, we, we disobey, we, we, we sense that God is mad at us, that the wall is up, that somehow we're on the outs with God. But this is what's interesting. We also, as Christians, we live with the illusion, if we can just be consistent enough, if I can just be good enough, if I can just get my act together, somehow my standing in the eyes of God is going to go up. I mean, the better I am, the more lovable I am. The better I am, the more acceptable I am. In fact, I'm even going to be closer to God. The reason we think like that is because we underestimate what God did for us at the cross, but we overestimate the role that we now play in our relationship with him. That's what I want to talk about this weekend. If you have your Bible, turn with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. And as you're turning, if you don't have your Bible, I hope you do this weekend. I'd love you to see this in black and white. But we will put the verses up on the side screen. You can go to the phone app, Get Hope phone app, and there's a place there with a message. You just go to message, click on it, have the verses for the morning, a place you can take notes, email them later to yourself. But as we get ready to talk about this, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, understand the person who wrote this, the Apostle Paul, was a guy who uh, actually was saved, came into a saving relationship with God through Jesus Christ while he was on his way to persecute and imprison Christians. I mean, he wanted to see them put to death. He hated Christ. He hated everything that Christianity stood for. In other words, he was intentionally working against God. But God still met him where he was. God offered him the gift of salvation. God saved him. And we get that. I mean, that's the nature of the gospel. God comes to us when we don't deserve it, and he gives us what we don't deserve. He finds us when we could never earn the right to be in a relationship with. And he said, I'm going to give you what you could never earn. That's the nature of the gospel. We, We get that. But as Christians, once we get past the point of salvation, we kind of assume that God has a different system for the relationship part. In other words, there's one system that God has that brings us into the relationship with him. And we throw words around like grace and mercy and love and forgiveness. God just says, come to me as you are. But then we assume that there's another system that God operates by once we are actually in a relationship with him. And that has to do more with laws and rules and regulations and do's and don'ts and all the things in the Bible that we're supposed to do or we're not supposed to do. What we're going to see this weekend is that God never changes systems. We're going to see that just as God is willing to enter into a relationship with us, regardless of what we've done, he is more than willing to stay in a relationship with us, regardless of what we do. And I'm going to tell you right now, if you grew up in a legalistic background like I did, if you grew up in a Catholic background, this is going to stretch you a little bit this weekend, okay? But let's look at it. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, beginning in verse 17. Paul is writing, he says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old has gone, the new is here. Now, from a human perspective, when we think about salvation, we think in terms of believing certain things, behaving certain ways. In other words, I now believe differently, so now I'm going to get my act together, and I'm going to start behaving differently. But when you think about it, behaving and believing, those, those are both things that we do. In this passage, Paul is referring something to something we have absolutely nothing to do with. In fact, he's saying that when we become Christians, when we accept what Jesus Christ did for us on the cross so that we could be reconciled back into a relationship with God, when we become Christians, Paul's going to teach us there is a fundamental change that happens at the heart and soul level of our lives. And my guess is at the time that it happens, we're not even aware that it's happening. And the fundamental change is this. God makes 
us new. At that moment of salvation, God makes us new. Now, our behavior may not immediately reflect that newness, but God makes us new. There's a fundamental change that takes place. According to this verse, we become, think about this, a new creation. Verse 18, all of this. And he was referring to the whole process of God making us new. All this is from God. Now, this is important. Who does all of this? Okay. The three Presbyterians who grew up with some good Bible teaching got that. Let's try this one more time. Let's try just this half of the auditorium. Who does all of this? Okay. Who does all of this? I hope that's not the way you cheer when you go to football games. All together, let's do this together. Who does all of this? Okay. And what's our part? Nothing. You can study these verses. You can look at it in the Greek. We are not in these verses. Now, there are other verses in the Bible that talk about us doing certain things, believing certain things. But when we talk about what Paul's discussing here in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, we don't get to play. We're like Abram last week when God entered into that covenant with Abram. He was on the sidelines watching. See, what's going on here, we're on the sidelines watching. So what Paul is saying is this. When God, when we become Christians, God fundamentally, he fundamentally changes us at the core of our being. We become something that we weren't before. We become new creations. Now look at verse 18. All this is from God who reconciled, there's the word of the morning, who reconciled us to himself through Christ. This word reconcile means to make compatible. In other words, if you sit down and reconcile your checkbook, what you do is you get the bank statement, and then you want to make your checkbook compatible with the bank statement. You want to make sure what was incompatible is now compatible. And when it's compatible, when it matches, you would say it's, it, it, it's reconciled. That's what Paul's talking about here. So look at verse 18 again. All this is from God who reconciled us to what? He reconciled us to himself. Now go back to our checkbook illustration. If you have your checkbook and it says you have $200, but you get your bank statement and it says you only have $100, you realize the bank isn't wrong. See, the bank is never wrong. We're always wrong. If, if you find out that your bank balance doesn't match your checking account, you don't call the bank and say, you guys need to change it. You don't do that. You immediately go to work. You find out what the discrepancy is. And then you work through it to make sure that your checkbook matches what the bank says that you have in the bank. At that point, it's reconciled. But understand, the bank doesn't make the changes. You make the changes. I make the change. Now, keeping that word reconciled in mind, you know what this is teaching? It's teaching that before we became Christians, see, we didn't fit together with God. But as we saw last week, God so desperately wanted to have a relationship with us, he decided that he was going to reconcile us. But understand, when God reconciled us, he's like the bank. He didn't change. In order for us to be reconciled to God, God has to change us. And it's not just a matter of changing our behavior. I mean, our behavior is as inconsistent as the weather. It's constantly changing. If us being reconciled to God was dependent on our behavior, well, we would be reconciled one moment and then unreconciled the next, and then we would be reconciled and then unreconciled again. So God says, listen, we're not going to do that. We're not going to do that. God said, this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to make a permanent change at the heart, at the soul level of your life 
so that you can be reconciled. I'm going to change you so that you fit with me. I'm not going to adjust to you. You're going to be changed so you can fit to me, so you can be acceptable by me. I'm going to make sure that there's no longer any of this conflict between us. I'm going to reconcile you. I'm going to make you compatible with me. Verse 18, all this is from God who reconciled us to himself. How did he do it? Through Christ. And then Paul begins to describe for us what had to happen in our lives for reconciliation to take place. And I can tell you, this is where you're going to start putting on the emotional brakes. Understand the big barrier between us and God was what? What was it? It was our sin. I mean, here we have a God who's holy. He's righteous. We're over here. We're unholy and we're unrighteous. And if God isn't going to change, if he's going to continue to be holy and righteous, then something has to be done about our unholiness. See, something has to be done about our unrighteousness. And so for God to reconcile us, he had to do something permanently about the issue of sin in our lives. Look at what he did, verse 19. God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ. Now check this out. Not counting people's sin against them. Have you ever seen that before? Sure you have. You've probably read it many times. You just never really thought about it. Basically, it says this. God, I'm not going to count your sin against you anymore. The the word counting in the Greek means calculate. God says, I'm going to make this decision. I'm no longer going to calculate your sin into the equation. I'm no longer going to calculate your sin into the relationship. I'm no longer going to count your sin against you. Well, wait a second, Mike. When I sin, I still feel guilty. And I feel really, really, really bad, right? You know what God would respond? That's your problem. It's because you don't understand, see? And I think there's a re- couple of reasons we can't grasp this. This is so hard. And why so many of you are going to walk out of here this weekend and think, I have got to find a new church. This, this, that's a heretic up there talking. Anyway, there's a couple of reasons we can't understand this. First of all, Let's be honest, this is not the way it works in our earthly relationship. We do count people's sin against them, right? If somebody offends us, the wall is going up. And the wall may stay up until they do some good stuff, and then maybe the wall is going to come back down. So that's the first reason. It just doesn't work like this in our earthly relationship. We can talk about unconditional love and unconditional forgiveness and all those things we've talked about in other series. It sounds great in theory, but rarely does it make its way into our lives. So one of the it doesn't op- we don't operate this way, so we can't imagine God operating this way. And then second, we just can't imagine sinning and it not bothering God. That just blows our minds. But understand, this is what this verse is teaching. God said, listen, understand, your sin bothered me. In fact, it bothered me so much, I had to deal with it once and for all. So I decided to make a fundamental change in you. I made the decision to reconcile you to me. And God says, I reconciled you to me in such a way we are so tight that sin cannot even wedge itself in between us. It no longer matters what you do or when you do it. God says, from my perspective, from my vantage point, it is dealt with and I know on your end you feel guilty and I know you feel like you've got to avoid me but you know what that's your problem that's not my problem I'm fine because from my vantage point you have been reconciled let me ask you a question if that ever got from here to here 
what would happen? See, I can talk up here all day long. I can think up here all day long. Oh, yes, when Jesus died for my sins, he, he died for all of my sins, my past sins, my present sins, even my future sins. And I know that's true because he's not going to die again. So he had to die for my sins once and for all. I get it up here. But what if it ever got down here? If it ever got here, we'd quit thinking, I'm in tight with God because I did good. I'm on the outs with God because I did bad. See, we would quit thinking that way. That would never even enter into the equation anymore in our relationship with God. But there's something inside of us. We feel that way. Like when we sin, when we do something wrong, I'm on the outside looking in. But at the same time, even as Christians, we still want to do God good. We want to impress God. We want to earn his favor. We want, to, we want to prove our worth. Somehow we feel like we need to do something so we can pay our own way. So we get all caught up in doing good stuff and good works and going to church and reading the Bible, maybe even praying, maybe even serving a little bit, giving a little bit of money. Here's the problem with that system. Here's the problem with going down that road. The problem is God, God's standard is so incredibly high. I mean, think about it. God's standard, holy, righteous, perfection. It is so incredibly high. We lose every single time. Billy Graham loses every single time. Because no matter how much we do, no matter how good we are, you got to understand, we're never going to be perfect. The scale is never going to tip in our favor. And that's why God had to do something at the core of our lives. That's why he had to change us internally. It's because we are so inconsistent externally. So he reconciled us. So that sin can't even get between us anymore. It doesn't even factor into the relationship. And now we come to the verses that's going to make some of your heads explode. So if you brought a poncho, put it on, and you'll avoid some of the fallout. Okay, here we go. Here we go. Verse 20. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors as though God were making his appeal through us. We employ you on Christ's behalf. Be reconciled to God. Allow God to bring you into that relationship. Then he says this in verse 21. God made him who had no sin. Now, who's he talking about? Yeah, he's talking about Jesus. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us. In other words, God took Jesus, the only one who got it right. The only one who could ever come to God based on his own merit, his own goodness. The only one who was perfect. God took the one perfect person and placed on him all of our sin. In fact, look at the rest of verse 21. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. If you're here this weekend and you're a Christian, I want you to repeat this, okay? I am the righteousness of God. Say it. Say it again. Once more with feeling. Now, this is what's interesting. We can sit there and say, I am the righteousness of God, but deep inside, you know what we're thinking? Yeah, but you don't know all the stuff I've done. God goes, eh, doesn't matter. I am the righteousness of God, but you don't know what I'm capable of. Eh, God said, doesn't matter. God said, I took all your sin, your past sin, your present sin, your future sin. I placed it on Jesus, and at that moment, he became the mess that you were. And then I took his righteousness and I placed it on you. And now, 
with the righteousness of Jesus Christ on you, I have declared that you are as righteous as Jesus. <laughs> and you hear that, you think, trust me, I am not as righteous as Jesus. Well, guess what? If you're not as righteous as Jesus, then you are incompatible with God. Because he's the bank, and he doesn't budge. You're the checkbook. You're all screwed up. You need a lot of help. So God says, I'm not going to change. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to change you so that you fit with me. You've been reconciled. You've been made compatible with me. And understand the only way God could do that was by giving us the righteousness of Jesus Christ. Now think about this. As you sit here this weekend as a Christian, you have the same righteous standing before God as Jesus. God sees you as he sees Jesus. And it's not because of anything you've done. And it can't be taken away because of something you might do. Because it's all based on what God has done. By the way, do you know why God did it? It all goes back to our epic series. It's since from the very, very beginning, God has desired nothing more than to be in an intimate relationship with you and me. And the biggest barrier to that relationship was our sin. I mean, let's be honest. If a relationship with God depended on our consistency, there would be no relationship. So God took what only Christ could do and he gave it to us as a gift. He changed our standing and now we have a righteous standing with a holy God. That means that I can approach God the same way that Jesus Christ approaches God. Boldly. With no fear of rejection. And I'm telling you, if it ever gets from here to here, the do's, the don'ts, the thou shalt's, and thou shalt not's. Forget all that. If it ever gets from here to here what God has done for us, trust me, it'll change our behavior. Those things will begin to fall into place. Out of just absolute thankfulness and gratitude for what God has done, it's like we will do everything we can to bring our lives in line with what he's called us to be. And just so you know, that's always been God's plan. That's always been his intention. See, we're the ones that are so caught up with the rules, the regulations, the do's, and the don'ts. God's like, I am going to just absolutely overwhelm you and love you into an obedient lifestyle with me. See, this is the power of love in its purest sense. Now, I'm going to give you four statements that really are the practical implications of of all that we've talked about over the last few minutes when it comes to our relationship with God. And I don't often encourage you to write anything down because rarely do I think I share anything that is worth writing down. Laura keeps saying, you need to write a book. I said, boy, if I ever come up with something that's worth writing, I'll let you know, okay? But I, do, I would like you to write these four things down because I think these are so different than we, the way we think when it comes to our relationship with God. And you're going to need to go back to these things. Here's the first one. Here's the first implication. Our sin doesn't make us unacceptable to God. As Christians, our sin doesn't make us unacceptable to God. It makes us feel like we're unacceptable. 
But you got to understand from God's vantage point, from God's perspective, it doesn't make us unacceptable. It doesn't separate us from God. It, in fact, it is impossible for a Christian to be separated from God. You know why? Because, see, we've been reconciled. Second, we can take refuge in Christ when we sin. And I say that because so many times when people sin, they think, I can't go anywhere near God, right? Have you ever invited somebody to the church and say, well, if I came to church, it would, it, would, it would fall down. The church would fall down. I've invited so many people to church, and they finally show up. And I'm look, it's still standing. This is incredible, right? But we get like that. You know, when I was a kid and I sinned, I ran away from God. I mean, I didn't want to have anything to do with God. I figured, hey, my, my sin separated me from God. And while I'm out here, I might as well sin some more and enjoy it because when I go back, there's no telling what he's going to make me do to get back on his good side, right? The good news is this. When you are at your absolute worst, when you have just committed the most heinous sin imaginable, when you are at your absolute worst, you can immediately throw yourself on the mercy of God. And it's because as a Christian, you have been reconciled. And that means that your sin is not going to separate you from the acceptance and the love of God. You can find refuge in him when you sin. You don't have to run from him, run to him. You don't have to work yourself back in. You're already in. Third, the consequences of sin don't rob us of an intimate relationship with God. The consequences of sin, they don't rob us of an intimate relationship with God. And I, and I say that because I talk to people all the time who they've, done, they've made horrible decisions. They've done wrong things, and they're living in the backwash. They're living with the consequences of their sin. And, you know, the relationships are busted up, and they're estranged from their spouse, and they're estranged from their kids. And, and maybe they've gotten in all kinds of debt, and, 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 and maybe they're now battling addictions that they never had before. They're dealing with all kinds of consequences. And when you're there, the tendency is to think, the consequences of my sin represent a barrier between me and God. I am being punished. I am being judged. I'm on the outs with God. Sure, I brought this on myself. But you know what? These, 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 these remind, they're just a constant reminder of these consequences. They're a constant reminder of my failure. They're a constant reminder of my mistakes. You know, they're a constant reminder that I didn't live up to my role, my job as a parent or as a husband or as a spouse. And so the consequences of our sin, they make us feel like we're separated from God. The good news is this, and this is so profound, and this is why I don't ask you to write things down. Consequences are just consequences. Remember the old chicken commercial, parts is parts? See this? Same thing here. Consequences are just consequences. They're the consequences of your sin. It doesn't affect God's love towards you. They don't make you any less lovable or acceptable. They're just consequences. They're the consequences of your decision. You are in. You've been reconciled, and your sin can't get between you and God no matter how extreme the consequences. I was talking to somebody recently, and they're going through the consequences of some decisions they made. And this is what he said as we were finished up after we I wish my relationship with God was like your relationship with God. I wish I was as close to God as you are to God. And I said, I'm going to let you in on a secret, and it's going to disappoint you. <laughs> I am never any closer to God than you are. I am never any closer to God than you are. God reconciled me. God reconciled you. 
The consequences of my sin are the consequences of my sin. The consequences of your sin are the consequences of your sin. It has nothing to do with the relationship with God. Sin doesn't factor in. It has been removed. It no longer enters into the equation. God put it on Christ. He gave us his righteousness in exchange. Now here's the fourth implication of this. Since we didn't behave our way into a relationship with God, we can't misbehave our way out of a relationship with God. Let me say that again. Since we didn't do anything that could behave our way into a relationship, we're just so, God, so good God looked at us like, I can't not have a relationship. I am so impressed by you, right? Since we didn't do that, we can't misbehave our way out of a relationship with God. This is what we, this is what we refer to as eternal security. It simply means this, once saved, always saved. I didn't grow up that way. I grew up a free will Baptist. That meant you could lose it, walk away from it, forget where you put it. I mean, all kinds of things. You could lose your salvation, right? But see, as I've grown, as I've studied God's word, I believe once saved, always saved. I mean, think about it. If you could behave your way into salvation, if you could behave your way into a relationship with God, then maybe you could misbehave your way out of a relationship with God. But if God fundamentally changed you at the core of your being, if God reconciled you and if God did all the work, then no matter what you do from this point on, you can't be unreconciled because you didn't reconcile yourself. And I know right now what some of you are thinking, it, especially if you lean toward legalism and rules and you like that structure because it kind of gives you some control, right? You're thinking this, Mike, are you telling us are you telling us that we can walk out of here and sin all we want and it is not going to affect our relationship with God? That's exactly what I'm telling you. That's exactly what I'm telling you. Now, I understand that's not how we treat each other in our relationships. I understand that's not how we're capable of loving each other in our relationships and accepting each other in our relationships. Let's be honest, we're very, very conditional when it comes to our relationships. But you got to understand, that's how God treats us. That's how God loves us. That's how unconditionally he accepts us. See, that's why it's amazing grace how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. We don't sing typical grace, how great the sound that saved a wretch like me. We sing amazing love, how can it be? We don't sing typical love, how can it be? See, if you can slide in and out of the relationship, that's not so amazing, right? That's how we handle our relationships. One minute you're in, one minute you're out. God says, no, it's not going to be that way. So understand, you, you can walk out of here this weekend, you can do anything you want to do, and it is not going to affect your relationship with God. It's not going to affect your standing with God. Now, let me just clarify something. You will suffer the consequences of your decision. Sin always has consequences. But you got to understand, you're not any less acceptable to God. So your, your deeds, your actions, they, they no longer factor in. And I might add, he's probably, he's probably going to discipline you. But even that's to, to, to drive you back into a relationship with him. But nothing you could possibly do could drive a wedge between you and your relationship with God. Nothing. You can walk on the wild side. You can sow your wild oats. You can decide that you want to spend a year coloring outside the lines. You can do whatever you want. And after you've busted up your relationships and ruined your finances and maybe picked up an STD or two and have the scars to go with it, 
Eventually, you'll finally return. And God will be standing right there. And you know what he'll say? Glad to have you back. And you'll probably respond, aren't you mad at me? And God will say, "Mm mm-mm. I got mad at Jesus on your behalf. Well, aren't you going to punish me? No. I punished Jesus on your behalf. I'm just glad to have you back. Now, let's just get you cleaned up and moving in the right direction again. I mean, what is, this is the story of the prodigal. We love that story. It's the kid who came to dad and said, give me everything that's rightfully mine. The dad didn't even try to talk him out of it. If that's what you want, here, have, a time, have the time of your life. And he goes out and he squanders it all, and who knows what he was up to, right? Probably betting on state, probably ended up broke, you know, things like that. <laughs> Got nothing. Finds himself in a pig pen, eating after the pigs if anything was left over. And I love the verse where it says he came to his senses. You know what it means? You know what that tells me? When you walk away from God, you're temporarily insane. Why would you walk away from this kind of God, Right? When he came to his senses, he's like, my, my dad has servants who are living a better life than I am. I, I am going home to the dead. I'm going home to my father, right? And I promise you this, all the way home, you know what he's doing? He was rehearsing his speech. Now, dad, this is, I know I was wrong. I accept responsibility, but I, I've learned my lessons. I'm going to change. If you'll just let me stay in the servant's corner, I'm going to work my way back in the family, and you're going to see that I'm not the same person I was, and I'm going to ask for your forgiveness, da-da-da. He's worked, but the dad sees him. The dad, I bet that dad walked to the end of the driveway every day. And when the dad sees he ran. Jewish men in the first century didn't run. He smothered him with kisses. The boy's like, dad, that- couldn't even finish his speech. Dad said, hey, get the ring, get the robe, kill bossy. We are going to have a barbecue. My son was lost, but now he's found. Let's pick up where we left off. Let me ask you a question. Is that a little different than how you've perceived your relationship with God? If you get nothing else out of the epic series, take this home. This is what God is saying. I have done everything I can possibly do to be in a relationship with you. If you're choosing to stay away, it's on you. I just want you home. Let's pray. Maybe you're here this weekend and you've never entered into a relationship with God through what Jesus Christ did by dying, coming back to life in three days to prove that he was indeed who he claimed to be, the only one who was righteous, who could die and take away the sins of the world. Because you've always thought, man, being in a relationship with God, that's about rules and regulations, that's about God taking all my fun away. No, Jesus said, I came that you might have life and have it to the full. But you're only finding it in me. That's the offer he holds out to you. And if you've never come to that place where you're like, God, I want that. I am so empty. I have tried everything, and I'm still empty. And you're willing to say, God, I just want a relationship with you. 
I want to accept what your son did on the cross for me so that my sins can be forgiven and you can, you can give me his righteousness and because of that, I can be reconciled back to you. You just talk to God the way you talk to your friend <laughs> and say, God, that's what I want. And immediately inside, you will become a new creation. And that's just the beginning of the journey. But it happens just that simply. Maybe you're here and you're a Christian and you've been around church and Christians long enough and maybe you've been abused by them and maybe you've been reminded enough just how horrible you are as a person. And you cannot even imagine that God would be standing with his arms open for you to return to him. I'm telling you, that's the love and acceptance of the Father. It's what he's wanted from day one. It's what he's wanted from the time that Adam and Eve made that choice in the Garden of Eden, from the time that he killed that animal and covered them. It was a preview of a coming attraction that one day some innocent party is going to have to die for the forgiveness of sins. And here we are. Come back to him. Father, we, what we've talked about this weekend in its purest sense, is amazing love. And I know that there's some people listening right now that have a hard time believing, believing all of this, and it's hard for them to believe because of the way they've been treated by people and maybe churches, maybe because of their past. I pray that your spirit will work in their lives so they can embrace this truth. I pray for the person who's listening right now who is not yet a Christian. And the reason they're not is because they can't imagine ever being accepted by you. May what they've heard this weekend explode in their hearts and minds. Thank you for loving us the way you love us. And Father, I pray that after this series and what we've learned, we would begin to approach you the way you've paved the way for us to approach you. And our lives will be changed just by being in your presence. In your name we pray. Amen.